Blog Talk Radio. David sin. Uh, we see God visiting David 
in his sin. God making a promise that uh, David would always be uh, a descendant of David would always be on the throne. And one of the central things that we discussed was not just David's rise to power and his rule, but we also discussed who can rule. And a real big principle that came out over the past uh, year was that you will reap what you sow, um, that God will deal with your sins, that God has atoned for our sins, but the consequences are ours and that we have to pay those. So um, case in point, if if when we go out as men and we, we father children and we think that we're going to get away with it, we never get away with that. We can walk away from that child, but that child is always with us, and they're you know always walking around scared of that you know child support people gonna come and garnish a check and you know all the stuff that goes along with that. And so it's better that we not that we not do those things, that we abide according to the laws of God. And not only that, um, when I talk about children, I'm very, very sensitive about kids. Um, but not only that we abide according to the laws of God, but that we reap the blessings of God. You see, we, when, you know, even out of wedlock, even out of wedlock, when you have a child, when you father a child, you don't know what you are missing. You don't know what you're missing when you're not in that child's life. And not only that, uh, you don't know the harm that it's doing to that child, you not being in their life. And so even if you have to put up with them baby mama drama or, you know, all of that kind of stuff, sorry, it's worth it. It's worth it for your child. And I, I don't know what made me say that, but, I mean, it's just true. There is nothing, 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 nothing better than your children and I, them, them kids. I, even today, I love my children. I love both of them. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. They're some of the, some of the great. They're a couple of the greatest blessings that I've ever had, and that I have rather. And I bless God for them. But anyway, let me get on track now, because you know I'm, I'm, I'm blathering. When I think about my kids, I get to, you know, get to blubbering a little bit, and I don't want to do that. Anyway, so tonight we go into chapter 20. Last week we, I mean 21. Uh, last week we talked about um, Sheba the, and the rebellion and how David, even though he's back in Jerusalem, he still has to deal with that rebellion. We also talked about, you know, Joab, and Joab is still an actor in this, on this scene because he is not going to be pushed aside. I don't care what he does. He's not going to be pushed aside. And then finally, we want to, you know, we, we reviewed um, uh, how David put down that rebellion by sending out uh, by sending out Joab and Abishai to take care of it and the the wise woman. We went through all of that last week, and then how he has to reorganize his staff. That's where we quit at last week, uh, reorganizing his staff. So with that said, let's have a word of prayer. Then we'll go into chapter 21. Uh, we'll probably only uh, do about half of 21. We might be able to do about 22, I mean the whole, the whole of 21. Um, I'm not rushing, but I know we're coming toward the end of this book. And I know some are wondering, so we're, we're, what will happen after this? Tell you maybe next week. Uh, I already know, but not ready to release it. I've got to you know, do a little bit more uh, praying and studying and seeing what the Lord says, and then we'll go from there. Um, so let's have a word of prayer. We'll jump into 21, um, and then, but well, before I go into 21, let me just say this about the last chapters that we're going into. Um, the material that we cover in the last chapters is not in uh, order. Uh, there is no chronological order. I, we talked about this earlier. Uh, there's no chrono, real chronological order to Second Samuel. It's really topical, and 
there are time periods that are condensed together where events coincide. But as we've gone through, nothing is in real chronological order. Or let me say it a little bit better. There are a lot of things that are not in chronological order. How's that? That's, that's, a, that's a more accurate statement. And because of this, you'll see some things that are happening that you've already visited, that we've already visited in our study, and maybe they expand just a little bit, tell us a little bit more, the narrator tells us a little bit more about it. But some of this is not new, okay? So as you see, it, it didn't happen here and then coming back and happen again here. No, there's no, don't, don't look for a, 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 a linear timeline here. He's jumping back and forth. And you'll find that those of you who are students of history will understand that oftentimes history presents itself this way. So this is no big deal. Okay? Um, so let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. We thank you tonight that you are with us and that you reign in our lives and that you, O oh God, you, O oh God, our teacher and our leader. How we bless you and how we praise you. How we magnify your name. Now tonight, oh God, as we go into your word, teach us. Hold us in the hollow of your hand. Guide us like sheep. For you are our shepherd and we are the sheep of your pasture. So help us, open our ears that we might hear, open our eyes that we might see. Speak by your spirit today that we might be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before I, go, before I keep going, let me remind you that if this is your first time watching uh, our broadcast and you are not saved, you can be saved tonight right here, right during this broadcast. And let me tell you why I know it. Because Jesus died for your sins. And all you need do is believe that he died for your sins. And all you have to do is take the action by confessing that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and I ask him to be my Savior. That's what it takes, your confession and your belief. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you can be saved. So if you do that tonight, you're saved. And then once you pray that prayer and you ask God to save you, then what I want you to do is I want you to find a church. I want you to find another Christian. Uh, and I want you to tell them, I prayed and I asked Jesus to come into my heart because I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I know that I am saved because he said I was saved. And, when, and that he said is God, not me. Because he said that if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that I'm saved. And I've confessed with my mouth because I believe in my heart. And if you do that, if you do that, you're saved. And so once you tell somebody that, once you tell another Christian or a church that, that, um, that, that, you, that you've confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, they'll help you. They will help you. That, that pastor, that church member, that Christian will then explain salvation to you more completely than I do tonight. Amen? So if, you, if you've done that, Welcome to the family of God. God bless you. Okay, let's begin with chapter 21 of 2 Samuel. It says, During the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. The Lord said, It is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. That's, that's big. And I need to explain that. Okay, 
I need to explain it, first of all, by having you go back and look in your Bible at Joshua chapter 9. Go to Joshua chapter 9 real quick. Because Saul put the Gibeonites to death. So let's, let's explore that a little bit so we can get the whole story and understand what is being said here. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Um, we want to go Joshua chapter 9. As the order should be Joshua, Judges, Ruth. So since I'm in Judges, keep going that way. Chapter 9. And I'm gonna read I'm gonna read from there. I'm gonna start at nine one. Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, those in the hill country in the western foothills and along the in the entire coast of the Great Sea, and what they're talking about is the invasion of Israel into Canaan, okay? Uh Great Sea as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, can't Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. However, when the people of Gibeon heard that Joshua, what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins cracked and mended. The men put on worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. The men of Israel said to the Havites, But perhaps you can live near us. How then can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, Who are you and where do you come from? They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, Take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now, see how dry and moldy it is? And these wineskins, they were filled, that we feel were new. But see how cracked they are? And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The men of Israel sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Three days after they made the treaty with, treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Keparah, Beroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, We have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do. We will let them live so that, so that the wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for the entire community. So the leader's promise to them was kept. Okay, so what you see here is when Joshua was sent to invade the land uh, and to wipe out all of the, uh, the Canaanites and to clear the land, that the Gibeonites said, we ain't going to fight them. We're going to make a treaty with them. And once they made that treaty and Joshua had given his word concerning them and gave, made an oath, he couldn't go back on them. So what they basically did was enslave the people. So the Gibeonites were living amongst the Israelites in Canaan. 
Now, the Bible does not record the the time and event when Saul um, actually slew the Gibeonites, killed them all. But here we find out that there is famine in the land because of the sin of Saul. And this famine goes on for three years. And David knows that something ain't right because we're supposed to be living under the blessings of God. And this looks like a curse. Now, why would you say it looks like a curse? Well, run over to, run over to Deuteronomy 28. Okay. Now, remember, one of the things that we know is that David is a man of the word, that the king was required to know the word, to study the word. He was supposed to write the word out and keep it with him at all times. And David has discerned, according to the word, that something is not right. Go over to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. I'm going to show you something. Uh, 28, and I won't read that whole thing. How about 20? I'll just start reading a little bit at 21, and 21 forward. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 21. The Lord will plague you with diseases until he has destroyed you from the land you are entering to possess. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease, with fever and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought with blight and mildew, which will plague you until you perish. The sky over your head will be bronze, the ground beneath you iron. The Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder. It will come down from the skies until you are destroyed. You see, when there is disobedience under the law, now remember we're studying under the law, Disobedience does not bring you reward. Under the law that was given by Moses, you either walked in a blessing or you walked in a curse. You either walked in obedience and were blessed or walked in disobedience and walked under the curse. And here they have disobeyed the law. Okay, let me. Uh, in, in, in King James, what it says is, they are, there's a blood guilt, okay? And basically what blood guilt is, or on account of, as he says, blood-stained house, what that is is a house or a people or a person who has shed innocent blood, a house that is guilty of murder. Um, turn... Uh, uh, um, and when you did not do what God had told you to do concerning life, you were subject to the curse. Let me, let's get a little deeper in the curse real quick. Uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 21, okay, because that deals with murder. You know, um, the, uh, in, in the law it says, thou shall not murder. But now what I want you to see is some, something with a little bit more specificity. Okay, uh, so Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 1. Here. If a man is found slain, lying in a field, in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess, and it is not known who killed him, your elders and judges shall go out and measure the distance from the body to the neighboring towns. Then the elders of the town nearest the body shall take a heifer that has never been worked and has never worn a yoke and lead her down to a valley that has not been plowed or planted and where there is a flowing stream. There in the valley they are to break the heifer's neck. The priests, the sons of Levi, shall step forward for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister and to pronounce blessings in the name of the Lord and to decide all cases of dispute and assault. Then all the elders of the town nearest the body shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley 
and they shall declare, Our hands did not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it done. Accept this atonement for your people Israel, whom you have redeemed, O Lord, and do not hold your people guilty of the blood of an innocent man. And the bloodshed will be atoned for, so you will purge yourself the guilt of shedding innocent blood, since you have done what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Stay with me. Go over to Numbers 35. It's going to make everything just as plain, just plain as day in a minute. But you see, when you are dealing in an area of the law, when you're dealing in an area of the law, you have to make sure that you put things in the proper context. And that's what I'm trying to do right now. So uh, 35... Let's look at uh, verse, and start reading at 29. Numbers 35, 29. These are to be the legal requirements for you throughout the generations to come, wherever you live. Anyone who kills a person is to be put to death as a murderer, only on the testimony of witnesses. But no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. Do not accept a ransom for the life of a murderer who deserves to die, he must surely be put to death. Do not accept a ransom for anyone who has fled to a city of refuge and so allow him to go back and live on his own land before the death of the high priest. Watch this. Do not pollute the land where you are. Bloodshed pollutes the land. An atonement cannot be made for the land on which blood has been shed except by the blood of the one who shed it. Do not defile the land where you live and where I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell among the Israelites. Why would you go through that long explanation? I went through that long explanation to show you verse 1, that the land is suffering, the land is refusing to yield up her fruit, that there, there is no rain, there's famine in the land because there has been murder in the land and that murder has not been dealt with. The Gibeonites were under a protective oath. Saul, in his zeal to clear them out of the land of Benjamin, and because he's the new king, he killed the Gibeonites. And so the land is suffering, and all of Israel is suffering because of sin that has not been dealt with. They have not made atonement. The murderer has not been brought to trial. Now, if they didn't know, if they didn't know who the murderer was, then all they had to do is take the red heifer down by the, uh, the river and go through that ceremony. But they knew who did it, and it had never been dealt with. And even though Saul was dead and off the scene, that sin had to be dealt with. You see, God's laws, when God gives his word and says, this is how I want it to operate. It's not a suggestion. And when he says, if you don't do it, he's not playing. He doesn't make exceptions. And if you know what to do, you do it. Now, what he's doing is he's withholding the rain because the land has been cursed. And so he says, we got to deal with that. That's what that verse is all about. And that's why, you know, it's really important that you don't think that God just arbitrarily just does something. No, God's not arbitrary. Uh -uh. Not when it comes to, to punishments. Mm -mm. Now, he, as I said, he'll scatter them blessings. But when he begins to punish, there is purpose in the punishment. Amen? So now, verse 2. The king summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now, the Gibeonites were not a part of Israel, but were survivors of the Amorites. 
The Israelites had sworn to spare them. Remember when we went back over and read all that in Joshua? That's what that means right there, to spare them. But Saul, in his zeal for Israel and Judah, had tried to annihilate them. David asked the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? How shall I make amends so that you will bless the Lord's inheritance? Do you see how that is worded there? The Gibeonites, the Gibeonites are standing in the way of the blessing. The offense that the Gibeonites are experience, had experienced, the pain and the, that they had, the fact that Saul had broken the treaty, had broken a solemn oath, put the Gibeonites in a position where the blessing was blocked. Stay with me. What shall I do for you? How shall I make amends so that you will bless the Lord's inheritance? Verse 4, the Gibeonites answered him, We have no right to demand silver or gold from Saul or his family, nor do we have the right to put anyone in Israel to death. What do you want me to do for you, David asked. They answered the king, as for the man who destroyed us and plotted against us so that we have been decimated and have no place anywhere in Israel, let seven of his male descendants be given to us to be killed and exposed before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the Lord's chosen one. So the king says, I will give them to you. So they're basically saying, blood for blood. And David agrees to that because it's lawful. Now, when you go back and study the law concerning murder, okay, the law concerning murder, what you find out is that it is life for life. Now, we, we talk about the eye-for-an-eye principle, and I think I've explained this before. What the eye-for-eye principle basically means is the punishment must fit the crime. The punishment has to fit the crime. And so what David does here is he says this punishment does fit the crime, that it is Saul's family that has to suffer. And so they ask for seven sons. Now, there are some who say that the reason why Saul, uh, that the reason why David went along with this, was simply because, uh, um, simply because it would allow him to further decimate the house of Saul, and there would be no one there that can take the throne from him. I don't subscribe to that because David already has the promise of God that there would always be somebody from from the house of David, from the loins of David, who would sit on the throne. So this is as it is written, and that the Bible tells us it was to atone for the sins of the house of Saul. So if we go to verse, uh, the next verse, uh, verse 7, it's chapter 21, verse 7, the king spared Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, and I can just read this, and it's, Self-explanatory here. The king spared Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the oath before the Lord between David and Jonathan, son of Saul. But the king took Armoni and Mephibosheth, the two sons of Ai's daughter Rizpah, whom she had borne to Saul, together with the five sons of Saul's daughter Merab, whom she had borne to Adriel, son of Barzilli, the Meholite, he handed them over to the Gibeonites who killed and exposed them on a hill before the Lord. All seven of them fell together. They were put to death during the first day of the harvest, just as the barley harvest was beginning. Now, what does that mean to us? 
What does all of this mean to us? Let me tell you what it means. It means that when we are in a, a dry season, when there isn't, when we have a promise of God that's not being fulfilled in our lives, one of the areas that we need to begin to look at is ourselves and what we have done. Because now, let me just show you a couple of things what it says about how our prayers are hindered by our sins. Turn with me to Isaiah 59, because our prayers are hindered by sin. Our prayers are unanswered because of our sins, in some cases, because sometimes we can pray, and I, we get an answer to our prayer, and we act like we didn't hear the Lord. And the answer to our, some of our prayers is no, no, uh-uh. And then sometimes, as we've heard in the past, sometimes it's, this is not according to my will. So I'm saying no. And then other times is it's not time for this. Wait. Just wait. But when there is an expectation based on the promise and that expectation is not being fulfilled, again, based on the promise, based on what God said, not what you imagine, not what you want, not what you hope for. There's an expectation because God said do X and I'm going to do Y or God said I'm going to do it regardless of what you do. And it's not happening when the rain is being withheld in your life and you know it's being withheld. There is a reason, and that reason usually is your sin. There's something there. There's something that you haven't taken care of. Amen? Look at Isaiah chapter 59. Let's start there. Just a couple of verses. And I'm giving you, what I'm trying to do is not give you my opinion. I'm giving you the word of God. And you can go back and look these verses over and see that everything that I'm saying is not only true uh, in general, but true specifically because of the context that we're using. We're staying within the context of the word. We're not making stuff up to make it fit what we want it to say. No, we're going to say what God says. I was going to start reading at verse 2. But I think I want to I want to read I want to start at verse one here fifty nine one Isaiah fifty nine chapter uh, verse one Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save nor his ear too dull to hear but your inequities have separated you from your God your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt, your lips have spoken lies, and your tongue mutters wicked things. No one calls for justice. No one pleads his case with integrity. Now, you can keep reading there, but the key verse that you want to take a look at is verse 2. Actually, verse 1 and 2. I love verse 1. I love verse 1. It says, But the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But what? Your iniquity, your sins, your willful disobedience toward the word of God has separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. Go to Psalm 66. And I'm going to go fast. I'm just going to let the word speak for us today. How's that? Verse, six, uh, verse 18. Look, Psalm 66, verse 18, it says this. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. When we hold on to sin within, when, and, this, and a, better, a better way to put this is, when we willfully choose sin, because remember, the heart is the seed of emotions, decisions, affections, etc. When I choose sin over the word, God does not hear me. 
He's not listening to me. Go to uh, Micah chapter 3. Micah chapter 3, verse 4. Listen to what it says. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. When we cry out to the Lord with a heart of disobedience, with a sin-filled heart, with a heart that is clinging, our will clinging to, towards our sin and not towards God. God said, man, I ain't, got, I, ain't, I ain't listening to you. I don't hear nothing you're saying. Go on someplace. And he literally turns away from us. Oh, wow. You see, a lot of times we get in the dry season and we want to blame it on the devil and we want to blame it on the white man and we want to blame it on our mothers and we want to say we got a generational curse and we want to say that that stuff is us. And that's just plain and simple. That's us. That's something that we are doing. And we have to get before the Lord. Just like David has to get before the Lord and find out, Lord, why are you withholding? Well, I mean, you know, okay, I, you know, a test is a test, but a test got to be over sooner or later. And sometimes we're in dry places because of testing. But even when God let Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord, let Jesus out into the wilderness, it was for 40 days. It was for a season. It was for proving. Testing is for proving. This famine that David and them guys are going through, this is going on too long. And so David begins to consult the Lord. What's going on? And I suggest to you tonight that if you are in a season or if you have been, or if you ever get into a season, the first thing you begin to do is say, search me, O Lord, and try me. Prove me. Look in my heart and let me know. If I know what it is, I will confess it. If I don't know, you tell me, show me what I done did, because I do not want my fellowship with you interrupted by some silly sin that can be forgiven. Oh, yes. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus came to die for this mess that we do. And he died, and he's made atonement for our sins, past, present, and future, and I don't have to sit in no desert. I can go tell my daddy point blank, look, I done messed up. Yes, I did do it. And, 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 and here's something that I often say. Here's something that I often say to people, and that is, why try to hide what he already knows? Your sin, he knew what you was going to do before you were a gleam in your daddy's eye. So if God already knows what you did, you hiding. And I'm not, I'll, look, yes, I got some pride like everybody else, but my pride ain't so big that I'm going to let my pride keep me getting my head smashed in. No, 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 no. I'm not walking with the devil when I can walk in forgiveness. I want you to look at, at and, and I, I want us to look at uh, um, one of the sins that often hinders our prayers. And you know what that sin is? That sin is the sin of unforgiveness. You know, a lot of our prayers is because we won't forgive. Because we like to hold grudges. Like we think somebody owes us something. And God tells us to forgive so we can be forgiven. But because we won't forgive, then we put ourselves in a position of unforgiveness. And so when we're in sin, how are you going to get blessed? 
Mm-mm. Look at Mark 11.25 real quick. We're doing good for time. Mark 11.25, what does it say? You see, we think that because we didn't kill anybody that we haven't done anything wrong. We think that because the police haven't come to our house and got us that we haven't done anything wrong. We don't live under those rules. We live under the word of God. We're kingdom people. And so we live by kingdom rules. And because we are kingdom people and live by kingdom rules, we are subject to the blessings and perhaps the penalties that can happen when we don't walk upright before God. Some people have said that, you know, since I'm under grace, there's no more law. Wrong answer. When you are dealing with the law, there is the law of ceremony, and then there's the law of atonement. Those are the two that Paul constantly talks about. But the moral code, the moral code, those last, I think is six of the ten, that deals with how we relate to man, and how, and even if well, the first one, well, well, let me let me just back up, back up that back that whole thing up. If what does it say? Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God, and then thou shalt love the neighbor as thyself. Those are that's how we live. Those are the laws that we want to focus in on right there. And the last six of the Ten Commandments deal with how we deal with man. And the first four is how we deal with God. So those commandments are still in force. What we don't deal with is the the ceremonial law of Moses, the sacrificial law of of, of Moses, of that was given by Moses that show us how to enter in, into into the holy place, uh, our relationship with God, because Jesus dealt with that once and for all. But when it comes to how we're supposed to treat each other and how we're supposed to love God, still in force, still in force. The only thing is, is that unlike the law that couldn't do anything, the grace of Jesus is extended to us. And we receive that by faith. Amen? So look at Matthew 11.25, or Mark 11.25, excuse me. Mark 11.25, where are we at? Where are we at? Oh, go to 24. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. So even when we stand praying before God, believing that we receive it, but we haven't forgiven our fellow man, we stand there waiting. What, is, what is another passage tells us, if you're at the altar to bring a gift, and you remember that you got all against your brother, leave that gift Go get with your brother, get that thing together, and then come back. Because God wants us to walk in forgiveness. Why is it so important that we walk in forgiveness? Number one, it's good for us. Secondly, if we're not walking in forgiveness, how do we represent the God of forgiveness? Come on. Go back to Isaiah 58, 9. Because God is going, God wants to bless us tonight. God wants to bring us out of dry places. God does not want us hindered by sin. And so he exposes how he reacts to our sin in Second Samuel, and then we further flesh it out through the scriptures to show that this is how God wants what he wants us to do. He wants us to walk up right before him, to keep our word, to not go around murdering, to not that, that blood guilt. And sometimes we murder folk with our tongues. We're guilty of that. Come on. Um, go back to Isaiah 58. You know, sometimes we look at the Old Testament, especially uh, in these passages that we're looking at with David, and we think that they are irrelevant. It's just a nice story. But God is always teaching us something. 
Isaiah chapter 58. When we, as they say, when we confess and repent, guess what happens? Isaiah 58 verse 9. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. Oh, I wish I had time to read that from all right, I'm going. I'm, I'm not rushing. I'm gonna get. Y'all can get what we get. Look, go up to verse six. Is this is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will appear quickly. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. When we do right by each other, that's when God will bless Um Go to John chapter 15. You know, the word makes things so plain to us, just so plain. And when we, and when we, and when we begin to listen to him and do what he says, John chapter 15. What is it? That's, what am I, I was over on six and trying to call it 15. Um, verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You see, God wants to bless us by making us fruitful. And here fruitful, what he's basically talking about is making other disciples. God wants to bless us and put us in a position to bless others so they, too, can share in the marvelous work that he's done. Um, Luke chapter 7, um, Luke chapter 11, and then I'm going to jump back over and I'm going to polish off this, nothing much, Luke chapter 11. I mean, this is, I believe this is just wonderful. The word is so wonderful. Here, look what he says in verse 9. 11, 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks find, finds. And to him who knocks the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, Everything that God gives us, everything that God gives us is to bless and further the mission of blessing because God is a God who blesses. And we as children of God are positioned to bless. But when we get out of position by walking in unforgiveness, by walking in willful sin, the blessing stops, and we go into that period of dryness. And it's because of not what the devil did, but what we chose to do. Amen? Uh, go back. Let's get back to Second Samuel so we can finish this off. i got about five minutes. Actually, about more like three minutes. Now, I'm, I was at Second Samuel chapter 21. I want to just make a couple of comments. So, 
all seven of them, I'll, I'll go back to um, verse 9. He handed them over to the Gibeonites who killed and exposed them on a hill before the Lord. All seven of them fell together. They were put to death during the first days of the harvest, just as the barley harvest was beginning. Rizpah, daughter of Ai, took sackcloth and spread it out for herself on a rock. From the beginning of the harvest till the rain poured down from the heavens on the bodies, she did not let the birds of the air touch them by day or the wild animals by night. When David was told what Ai's daughter Rizpah, Saul's concubine, had done, he went and took the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from the citizens of Jabesh-Gilead. They had taken them secretly from the public square at Bethshan, where the Philistines had hung them after they struck Saul down on Gilboa. David brought the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from there, and the bones of those who had been killed and exposed were gathered up. They buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan in the tomb of Saul's father Kish at Zela in Benjamin, and did everything the, com the king commanded. After that, God answered prayer in behalf of the land. So what just happened to you? One of uh, uh, Rizpah, whose sons had been killed, came out to the place where they were hung. And she was so devoted to her children that she wouldn't allow the birds of the air or, or, or the wolves and all of the vultures and stuff to eat the flesh off of, her, off those bones. But she guarded them night and day. Now, according to um, biblical scholars, this didn't go on for no three days and then they pulled the bodies down. No. This went on, according to the word of God here, for fi about five months. It started at around Passover, and it didn't uh, 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 stop until roughly about October, about five months later. So from April till about October, day, day in and day out, this woman stood watch over their bodies because she didn't want them defiled any further. Doesn't that say something about a mother's devotion? And when David hears about how devoted this woman was, it almost it shames him because he's never made sure that Saul and Jonathan got a proper burial. And so what does he do? He says, we got to bury them right. Now, there's some political things in there too, by the way. There's some politics involved in there. But she shames him so that he goes and he gets Saul's bones and he gets Jonathan's bones and he gathers up the bones. Notice I say the bones because the flesh has now been worn away. And he gathers them up, and then he gives them a proper burial. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? Hey, um, got to stop right here. Um, want to uh, make sure that uh, we have a few minutes for prayer. And the main thing is that we want to deal with our sins, whatever they are. Unconfessed sin, unconfessed to your prayers. And here, the atonement had not been made for the sins of Saul, and it hindered the kingdom. Your family, you, can, your prayers can be hindered because of disobedience and unconfessed sin, because you regarded sin in your heart and not the word of God. But Jesus died for that. And God has told us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because he wants us to ask and receive. He wants us proper in proper fellowship. If we if, if, if staying attached to the... When we do that, when we do that, when we do that, 
we stay connected with God and what God has for us has given to us. And I'm not talking that prosperity doctrine either. I'm talking about the sweet fellowship that is worth more, more than all the money in the world. We have. We maintain that fellowship with God. Amen? Let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you, thank you, thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your way. We thank you for teaching us tonight, Drew, through this passage in Second Samuel, the results of unconfessed sin. That sin that results in a dry season In a time where we are so separated and far away from you Where you've turned your face from us Where you can't hear us Where you refuse to hear us Simply because we choose sin over you God, thank you Thank you And we, if we confess even right now Our sins Father, first of all, even as we confess them we ask that you would expose them to us so we can confess them properly, so we can know exactly what it is that we've done that's been displeasing to you. We thank you, O oh God, that even when you turn away from us and, and, and take us through dry seasons, that you don't disown us, that we're still your sons and we're still your daughters. So we bless you for that. Now, Father, you said that you would discipline them whom you love. So we submit ourselves to you for discipline if necessary, whatever it takes, but we choose you. We don't choose our sin. We choose you, not because we're so smart, but because you chose us first. And so we want to be with you at all times in your presence. We thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey. That's it for tonight. We will pick up where we left off next week, and it has been wonderful to be with you for the Word on Wednesday. I am Pat.